This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. It's two minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.73 Triple R. You may be listening via rrr.org.au. It's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. I'm Dr. Surf. Hello, Dr. Surf. I'm just looking at the state of the notes in front of everybody. Bron's got a pile about the size of the old phone book. Kate's got a book. I've got a postage stamp (laughs) with two things written on it. And that's going to be my contribution for today. Excellent. Good morning, Kate. <laughs> Good morning. I'm assuming it's all upstairs, Dr. Sir. No. You don't need notes. You're, you're a professional. No, you're the professional because you've written things down. I can see writing. <laughs> I just have a bad memory, that's all. <laughs> and um, this Is, is this our first show together? Edit, we were together on Radiothon, but we haven't had this the opportunity to... This is the first real to, show. Yeah, it's about have time. a good chat. It's been a long time. Yeah. Hooray, we've got the surfing team together. I'll That's just go it. then. <laughs> I've surfed once. <laughs> part I've of the seen same pictures then. of you standing up on a board. Do you remember taking me from my first... I reckon it was a set-up. Do you remember taking me down to Anglesey once? No. With all your mates <laughs> and sticking me on this short board and sending me out into the worst surf imaginable and you all just sat on the dunes and pissed yourself while I kept falling. Yeah, falling. that sounds like us. Just <laughs> arrogant, rude... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that note... So we're not going surfing for the Radio Marinara Christmas party? <laughs> no. <laughs> the show's just deteriorated. Our stand has just gone through the floor. Thank you, Tim, very much um, for Vital Bits. And um, thank you, Andrew, very much for Soulful Bits. 
Tim will be back next Saturday morning at 6am. And Tim was nice enough to play two Cash Savage songs mm. on the way in. I'm off to see you next weekend, so it got me pretty pumped and excited. Fantastic. And yes. poor Neil Young, whose house burned down. Ah. <gasps> oh. Is that right? Are you nodding, Nerida? Yes, but it wasn't his very special house over in Woodstock. It was the Southern California one, but still. Was that. it the one with the huge train set? No, I think that's the Woodstock one, oh. which is also the one that has the massive speakers outside. I don't feel so sorry for him anymore. Anyway, terrible fires. Yeah, shocking. Let's get on with today's program. You've got a very special guest coming in shortly. I do. Who he has been in once before. Dr Garbage has come in again Great. to talk about the Cassie Awards, the winners for this year and who is eligible to nominate for next year. And what they are. What they are. Excellent. Um, and then I'm going to hit you up for a surf report, Dr Surf. Easy, it's crap. Really? Paid? <laughs> would you, would you care to add any... I didn't even look at the surf because Dr Surf was coming in. Okay. I didn't even think about it. Very good. Yes. Um... There you go. Well, that's the surf report done and dusted. Maybe I'll try and hit somebody up at short notice for a dive report. No, I can do a longer one. I can do the dive report. Okay, excellent. Well, there you go. We're just working. (laughs) Sorry if you're listening. We're just working at our (laughs) slightly readjusting our show lineup. Um, Then we're going to play an interview that I had intended to play last week, but we had so much on we decided to um, to put it back till today. So Ben Radford is an ecological modeller and he is from the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences, but he's doing a lot of collaborative work with the University of Western Australia and is based in Perth and they've put out a paper, he and his colleagues have put out a paper looking at um, the projected decline in kelp forests along the in the Great Southern Ocean and, uh, and what this really means. And so we'll be playing uh, an interview that Dr Beach and I did with Ben Radford. It was a few weeks ago now, so we'll play that about halfway through today's show. Dr Surf? I was talking about that with Dr Beach on Friday. Oh, there you go. And because he's been in Darwin, he wasn't sure whether it had been played or not. Right. So it hadn't. But it will be today. Good. Yeah. Uh, and then Cade. Yes, I'm um, hopefully, or we are hopefully, going to cross over to Grunier Maguire, who's on Victoria's largest sand island at the moment. She's there counting birds. Right. Um, and I think I'll leave the rest of it for her to talk about but okay. she was saying that she's basically lathered up with insect repellent to keep her away from the sandflies and is spending the weekend hiking around with a big pack counting birds so i don't know if you know where victoria's largest sand island is no i was just trying to pick it dr surf no any ideas yeah so in corner inlet oh it's right okay called snake island so we'll <laughs> ask her about that too yeah. fantastic <laughs> yes. excellent uh that is today's lineup Shall we have a little forecast of today's weather? I can see the the, uh, the projected maximum, which looks very nice, Cade. Yes, today's weather is just get outside. It's going to be a top of 28 and nice and sunny. Tomorrow we're going to have a low of 14 and a high of 29, so another good day to get out there. Uh, Tuesday, 21 to 25, with showers developing and possible storm, and then it all goes downhill from there. So we've got Wednesday's going to be 19, Thursday's going to be 15. Oof. And Friday's going to be 15 as well. Yay. So don't waste your day today inside. Get out there and get amongst it. Why are you happy about that, Dr. Because Sir? there's a swell coming in. Oh, right. yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just on the surface, look, you'll get waves. They're not very good. It's There's still a lot of the devil in the east have come in. And usually this time of the year you'll get a period of two or three weeks when everything just switches and the devil winds come in for a couple of weeks and it's just nature's way of saying, well, you had your fun. It's all over now. Time yeah. to have a breather, rest your yeah. bones. Time to paint the house. Right. 
It's just time to swap boards, isn't it? Yeah, go on the beach breaks, but I'm not a fan of beach breaks. <laughs> I like points, and so you just got to make do. But look, the water's warming up. It's mm. quite pleasant now. And, you, you've um, done all your dusting, so you can get on with painting the house. Yeah, I did a lot of dusting. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're wondering what we're talking about, <laughs> Dr. Surf's surf report last week opened with, I'm, I'm on the ladder. You're on a ladder doing the dusting? No, no, no. I was dusting um, the... The Simpsons collection, right? Some of which you've donated. Yes. And I just thought, well, here's another um, boring domestic tip from Doctor Surf: do the dusting because your wife will love you. <laughs> I think we might have some music on that note. Unless any of, have either of you got a quick news item to? Yeah, I think. Can I just squeeze in? So yesterday I went for a dive to kick off the Great Victorian Fish Count. Um, as someone who actually helps run it as well, that was a good thing to do. I was down at Rye Pier with quite a few different groups. Um, down there, conditions were beautiful. The water was fantastic, and the fish were there. They were probably had about about eight to ten people join the group I was with from Dive and Dive. But there was a whole lot of other people wearing their Great Victorian Fish Counts shirts that they get in the car park, and they'd all been having a good time as well. So it kicked off yesterday there's a group down at Bunurong Marine Reserve heading out at 12:45 at Shack Bay if you're in the area or you're listening and should be a great day for it and also just jump on the Victorian National Parks Association website to look for other um, venues close to you so we've got it set up as a calendar this year so look at the day that you're free and then find a group that's doing it and go and join them count some fish and get yourself a t-shirt fantastic Great Thank t-shirts. You. They are. It's got a very cute picture of it. Done by Nicole, who's just started working at Reefwatch and actually is looking after the fish count now. So yeah, she's right. got quite a flair for the artistic. So it's not very good for radio to say they're good shirts, but we'll put them up online. Yeah, we will. Um, Dr. Nicole Mertens, who was in a couple of weeks ago. That's the one, just yes. Just to put that in context for people listening. It's a very, very nice image of a Port Jackson shark. So awesome. All right, let's hear some music. Dr. Surf, as always, when you're in, you program our music. I have. Which I've is always delightful. Starting off with some jump and then we're going to go through into some soul. But to start off with Louis Jordan and um, Caledonia. Hello, my name is Belvedere and I have something to say to you while I'm here. With Radio Marinara, you'll all go much farer. So tune in. I'm being sincere. <laughs> Belvedere. Now, Bel- <laughs> Belvedere was, uh, for those of you who don't know, was on Bert Newton's midday show. Uh, morning. He was a floor manager. Was it Bert Newton or Mike Walsh? No, it was Bert Newton. Oh, it was Bert yeah. Um, he was the floor manager. This was the morning show. I don't know. It goes a long time and ago. And he, he became a, like a cult celebrity. Yeah, he? he did. And he used to do these limericks. And so there was some connection through our program, I can't remember, it might have been through Anthony, who knew someone who knew someone who knew Belvedere. And um, we said, hey, we, try and we hit him up for a, a limerick about marinara and he agreed to do it. But that was his signature thing. He used to look into the camera and read a, do a limerick every week. That is so classically triple R. <laughs> <laughs> You'd never get that anywhere else. It's just, just like five removes and obscure... <laughs> It's great to have Belvedere on the show. Yeah. Now, that last track you heard was from way back in 1946, Louis Jordan, Caledonia Boogie. Mm. And and now it's time to introduce our first guest, Dr Garbage, Rob Kernow. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you. And thank you for coming in after a 
a bit of a party last night. Oh, I'm just going to whip in a quick plug if I can to congratulate my son and his uh, fiance from a surprise uh, proposal last night down by the Warrandyte River. And it, it went nice. It, it was, went well. It went perfectly. There were no tears and running away. No. There were <laughs> <laughs> He's a risk taker. So she was blindfolded and we had the, pla- the place lit by lanterns and about 50 people all being dead quiet. And we removed the blindfold, he went down on one knee and even had a ring. Oh. That is so much better than the way I proposed to Mrs Surf, <laughs> which was along the lines of, we've run out of towels, we need new ones, let's get married. And <laughs> believe it or not, we did get some towels and we've still got them. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's so different to the way in which I proposed to uh, Mrs Garbage or Dr Garbage's partner. I asked her uh, to out to dinner, but I didn't have any money. And then I didn't have enough, enough money to buy the second bottle of champagne, so she had to go across to the pub to get the second bottle of champagne. So romance has blossomed in the philanthropy. Ah, there you go. Anyway, we're here to talk about the Cassie Awards. That are, uh, Can you just explain to us what they are? Certainly. Um, Indeed, they they come from a memorial to my partner, who I was with for 32 years, and we worked in the environment for many of those years across a desk similar to this, and fought and loved and, and kicked a few goals in terms of bringing about change. One of her big commitments was to providing support for women who were passionate and working in the environment who needed a helping hand. Mm -hmm. And she was a bit of a champion for that. So shortly after she passed away, about 18 months ago, some friends of mine got me moving and we started a memorial fund. And we put it out to all of our networks and Keep Australia Beautiful, EPA New South Wales, major people that we'd worked with nationally came on board to help us honour women who were the unsung heroes. So... Who is eligible for these awards and, and, and what areas do they need to be working in? Just about anyone who's a female can apply for the award. Uh, we've had people from 17-year-olds who are designing surf wax mm-hmm. that are uh, based on natural organic products that don't say Mrs Palmer or other such kind of uh, things, mm-hmm. through to um, 70-year-olds who are working on uh, activities up in Ballingen to keep it plastic-free or to minimise waste. So we've had some wonderful applicants, about $150,000 worth every year for the two years, and we have about five to $6,000 to give away. So I am here a little bit to ask for some help with fundraising. All the money we raise goes to supporting people, and this year we're employing a part-time fundraiser to help us gather some more funds. Mm -hmm. So what sort of companies would you be looking for, or organisations, should I say, to help out with uh, funding this? the award. And look, we're really open to anyone. Um, Basically all of the money we've raised so far has come from personal contacts, people working on the environment, uh, friends and family. So this year my family, through my mother, gave a significant amount of money for the number of friends that had passed away this year. Uh, Another uh, partner of of a foundation member, for her 50th birthday, she's asking people to donate to the award rather than give her presents. Mm. And so we're really open to anybody who's willing to help us out in even small ways to raise funds. Um, We're thinking about showing the film Blue down at the peninsula Mm -hmm. and using that as a fundraiser because we know the Mornington Peninsula people. Um, We've got a number of ideas for fundraisers as well. Now, we've talked about that movie on the show, have we not? Blue, Blue. yes. Yep. Yeah. Now, um, just just as an... Can you give us a couple of examples of the type of people that, that have won the award and what... 
work they've been doing? Sure. We, t we talk about recipients because we think all of the people that apply are winners um, and some of them have asked for as much as $50,000 and some of them have asked for as little as $500. So, for example, one of the people who wasn't a recipient asked for money for a phone because she was a blogger and she just could not afford to buy a new phone. Okay. But she's got 40,000 followers. Um, some of the people that have been... We have about 12 uh, assessors and they all independently rate. I'm not involved in judging. But what we do is I put those numbers together and identify the winners. So, for example, last year, the women that work on uh, Good for the Hood, which has been adopted by Craig from the ABC for the War on Waste, uh, when we presented the award, he met them and they've been a functional part of building neighbourhood networks. Um, Cambodia, we had uh, Plastic Free Cambodia people as recipients. We've had some mermaids uh, who are working in Tonga, helping to uh, keep the oceans clean from plastic. And I'll talk about this year's awards in a minute because they're really interesting. Okay. Um, just as... as just before we, we go any further, how can someone get more information about this on... Is there a website uh, with instructions on how to... Uh, yeah, to I'm smiling. Ask money? <laughs> yes, because the cheque's in the mail and I'm updating the websites as we speak. Look, the, the website is there. It's the www.cazieaward. Um, so that's K-A-Z-Z-I-E yep. award. And what will happen is Google will default to Jazzy. So we didn't think about that when we named it. Okay. So that'll take you to America. But it's starting to now build momentum so that we're getting more of a presence. And on there you'll find instructions for how to apply. You'll see descriptions of all of the family and the people that are involved in supporting it in terms of assessors. And you'll also see how to go about uh, raising funds through the GoFundMe um, uh, process. And there's a website for that as well. But that's all on the one page. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, you and I have a link here with one of the winners of this year's awards, which is uh, the, I think it's all or some of the organisers of the Rye Seaside Scavenge, which is on on January the 13th. Yes, and one of the things that they were received recognition for was quite a clever psychological approach to valuing plastic waste. So, um, Sasha and her team, uh, jo uh, uh, Josie and Sasha, uh, looking at uh, being able to get people to go and collect waste from the beach during the seaside scavenge, and rather than just simply putting it into a recycling bin, they're putting it into a machine, which we're helping to fund, which will turn it into plastic coins. Now, those plastic coins will be available for people to be able to purchase things like donated goods or donated drinks or donated uh, things from local produce people. And the idea being that you take the waste and you value it because you're exchanging it for something that's been donated. And so you're changing the psychology underneath this waste material. In fact, all of the awards this year have been really clever. Women that are working right on the leading edge at the grassroots doing things that are often unsung. So uh, Lou, for example, in Ballarat, she had some excess produce. She lived on a laneway. Lou Yeah, you know Lou? Yeah, yeah Lou. Okay. <coughs> love, love, love Lou. I went to present her award uh, two weeks ago at Ballarat and I'll talk a little bit about the mental health aspects that we're now getting into. But before I do, she was uh, a, winner, a, a recipient this year and she had some excess produce and she lived on a laneway and she thought what can I do with it and so she put it outside her laneway and there are now 40 people interacting with her on a regular basis swapping seeds sharing produce sharing nectarines that are to die for and it's all done through community development mm. and we were so pleased to present her with the, with the award the week later the premier gave her award and we gave her about a little bit of money and I can announce it's on the uh, it's been announced the premier's award is going to significantly 
significantly fund them. But like with Craig last year, we discovered them first. And weren't <laughs> 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 and, so a huge shout out there to Lou Ridsdale. Uh, um, Nerida and I immediately did the yeah. eye con- Oh, that's, that's our Lou. That's <laughs> my Lou. That's, that's triple R's Lou. Yeah, and, um, and, and yeah that's awesome. wonderful. Um, and the other recipient is, a, is a, a woman up in the Territory in Darwin who looked at the plastic waste um, that was being unable to be recycled in distant outback communities. So what she's done is develop her art skills and she travels to remote areas and takes the plastic goods and reformulates it into the most beautiful jewellery you've seen. And it becomes, instead of a waste, a product that can be sold. So she's working with Indigenous communities and she's providing them with an income stream rather than a waste product. And again, we're only giving her a little bit of money because we don't have a lot, but it's having a huge impact impact and dealing with some of the problems in waste, recycling, environmental issues um, and indeed with Lou's work we're now starting to look at supporting mental health, uh, uh, healthy eating, environmental recreation and starting to be a bit broader in our focus. Um, so we're really excited about that. Lou's been a wonderful addition to the people that are recipients. Food is free if you're wanting to For, oh, find yes. out more about Lou. Food so, is free in the laneway is yes. Lou. Um, or hashtag food is free. I think she's got her own handle mm. that's kind of gone gangbusters yeah. now. Yeah. So next year, let's talk about dates and deadlines, important dates for people that are interested in, in putting in for one of these uh, awards. When should they do it? Well, um, we're going to be run fundraising probably through to about May and generally we open the awards in May and try to have them sorted out by uh, end of June. Haven't got to planning the dates yet because one of the things that it's going to depend on is do we have any funds to uh, deliver to people. So we've got a little bit to perhaps give one award next year at the moment. If fundraising is successful then we'll come back in May, open it up on the webpage, use our networks and they're extensive to ask people to apply and then we'll probably deliver uh, either this year we announced the awards at the Australian Psychological Society Community Psychology event. So a woman from New Zealand called Nikki Harari came over and talked about the importance of living positively with people and the theory behind it. And she said the difficulty is, is how do you make it concrete? So I stood up and said, here's three examples of how you make living with people concrete. So we might do it at the psychology conference again next year or with Keep Australia Beautiful's annual conference because they're both major supporters for us. Okay, well, that's fantastic work. Um, now, just to finish up, once again, how can people contact you online? www.kazieaward, K-A-Z-Z-I-E, A-W-A-R-D. Or one word? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Anyway, you'll be able to see it. And look, the, the thing that I want to just finish on, if I can, is that um, there's a young person down the peninsula who's working in the surf industry, doing it, uh, her own... Uh, organic uh, chemicals, a g- approach to deal with chemicals in the, the water. And so anything that's innovative, like Salty Rose, is really want to be encouraged. And hopefully people come to the Rye Seaside Scavenge, because mm-hmm. uh, Sasha says, I've got to send her the cheque before that happens. And by the way, recipients, the cheque is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and the Seaside Scavenge is on at Rye on, I think, Sunday the 13th of January. Yes. It's a big event. If you want to come down and help clean up the foreshore and learn about how to clean up um, month by month, week by week, and meet some interesting people, mark it in your diary. We'll, we'll actually have, I hope, Sashi 
on the the show next month to talk about that. Excellent. Assuming she's back from her uh, massive wanderings around the world. They live such a great lifestyle. <laughs> well, thanks again, Rob. Thank Sorry, you so Dr. much, Dr. Garbage. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. And all the best with your, with your wonderful work. And hopefully, we'll get you on next year. And you can tell us about the 2019 recipients. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Garbage. It's 9:27, and this is Radio Marinara here on Three Triple R. We're going to hear a couple of station announcements, and then a quick slash uh, um, quick dive slash surf report. Ripples in the Open, an exhibition by Gracia Haby and Louise Jennison, invites audiences to immerse themselves in a unique landscape of jostling poetic imagery and a menagerie of mammals. This spectacular installation, comprising of a 15-metre collage and lenticular photography, draws viewers into its imaginary world. Ripples in the Open, on now until January 27. Art Space at Realm, 179 Maroondah Highway, Ringwood. Art Space at Realm, Triple R sponsors. Triple R presents the Coburg Night Market. Every Friday from November 30 to December 21 with bands, DJs, food, drinks and loads of stalls. Featuring huge live music lineups from local labels Art Records, House of Beige, Lost and Lonesome and Hysterical Records. Celebrate the start of summer at the Coburg Night Market. Bridges Reserve, Coburg. Presented by Moreland City Council. Triple R Sponsors. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinara en 3 Triple R. We're uh, back from our slash. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I gave everyone a good laugh. <laughs> Woken everyone up anyway. Um, Cade, quick dive report. Very quick dive report. I realised I didn't do the tides earlier this morning. Dr Beach is the one who's good at this stuff. But we have a low tide at 1.26pm at the heads and a high tide at 7.58. So anytime kind of after that, we'll have some flood water heading into the bay. So good time to get out there. Yesterday I was at Rye Pier. I'd say it was easy 10 to 12 metres visibility there. Um, a lot of traffic, mm. huge amount of traffic. Uh, we had one of the divers in our group go and join another group for a little while because there were so many divers down there. When you say traffic, is that underwater traffic? Or underwater traffic, okay. yeah. I don't often dive on weekends. I'm probably like you with surfing. I tend to um, dive during the week to avoid the crowds. Mm. And there would have been at one stage probably 30-odd to uh, thirty odd people in the water under there. Really? And I imagine Blair Gowrie and every single dive spot along the coast would have been much the same at this time of year. It's starting to warm up. Visibility is mm. good. The weather's nice, so there's no excuse not to get out there. What's the water temperature in the bay now? I would say it's heading towards about 17, 18 degrees. So, yeah, wetsuit. No need for a dry suit at the moment. Nice. It's great. Um, a quick plug, and then we're going to hear some music. This is for a screening. It's not for a couple of weeks, but I thought I'd better let you know because these things tend to sell out. It's um, December the 6th, rubber jellyfish screening. So this is a, a fundraiser for um, Sea Shepherd, hosted by Sea Shepherd's Marine Debris Campaign uh, Australia and also Sea Shepherd Melbourne. So it's a new documentary by Carly Wilson, exposing the truth behind a favourite celebration item, balloons. So if you want to go along and um, check out this new documentary, you can join Sea Shepherd Melbourne and the Marine Debris team for this important screening. Uh, we'll put some links to that on our Facebook page. That's on the December on December the 6th at Cinema Nova. So we'll put some links to that. Uh, we're going to hear some more music and uh, then after that, I think we're going to go straight into um, interview, if you missed the start of the program, um, that Dr Beach and I did with Ben Radford from the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences about the decline of kelp forests in the Great Southern Reef. So we'll go straight into that. But um, before we do that, Dr Surf. Bit of RC, Ray Charles. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hi, this is Wayne Lynch and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Research into the future of Australia's Great Southern Reef shows that its kelp forest habitats are in trouble. Even under the most optimistic scenarios of optimum carbon emission reduction, ocean warming is likely to cause a substantial seaweed loss by 2100. Is there any hope at all? Even if climate change projections are accurate, are some species likely to adapt better than others to ocean warming? To talk more about this research and its implications, it's with great pleasure we now cross to Perth to speak with ecological modeller from the Australian Institute of Marine Science Dr Ben Radford. Good morning, Ben. Welcome to Radio Marinara and to Triple R. Good morning, Bron. Thanks for having me on the show. I thought we might start with a question about the Great Southern Reef. Whereabouts is the Great Southern Reef? How big is it? So the Great Southern Reef, it spans from the Queensland border right the way around uh, the southern part of Australia to about Kalbarri in Western Australia, sort of half the country. Wow. Uh, the research is a collaborative exercise that's been led by the University of Western Australia's Ocean Institute, but there were several institutions and several people involved. What was your role in this, Ben? How have you come to be part of this team? I'm a basically a modeller, an, what they call an ecological modeller. We collate all the information and it's up to me to uh, basically organise it and uh, make some sense of it and do the predictions. So that's the role that... I mean, Australian Institute of Marine Science, we have a number of these uh, data science uh, positions and we specialise in bringing this sort of information together. Uh, I work with people like Thomas Wernberg and Breslin Martinez doing this type of work in temperate systems, but a lot of the work is also in the tropics as well, like looking at coral reefs. Yeah, so you're kind of an Ocean's Eleven group in that you bring the, the modelling tech skills and Thomas brings the, the phycology knowledge and you're all sort of bringing your own different component to this team. Yeah, the, the modellers are sometimes the glue, so they, we have all these different, a lot of expertise uh, in different areas, and uh, we kind of bring a lot of the information together um, but it's just it is really great to have these big collaborative projects because we've got everybody from people from northern europe to you know southern australia the museums university of western australia australian humor and science and these sort of big problems they need that sort of collaboration so i, I think it's, it's really encouraging that there is more and more of this type of work you're from WA and of course we've, we've talked on our program a couple of times about the loss of kelps particularly on your coastline. You mentioned before that the Great Southern Reef um, exists from Kalbarri all the way up to probably New South Wales, Queensland border but yeah. we've seen particularly with the heat wave and I think it was in 2011, correct me if I'm wrong, but after that uh, you noticed a huge um, drop in, in kelps from Kalbarri south down to about Perth. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So we've had the 2011 heat wave also in 2016. So, um, yeah, no, we've seen a, a marked change. I mean, you're seeing kelps uh, and these, these large kelp forest changes for a number of reasons around the, the country, but the... Um, the big changes that we've seen in Western Australia are largely linked to this um, this 2011 uh, heatwave event. Can you talk us through the importance of kelp forests and, and what actually is a kelp? I think the best way to think about it is, uh, you know, you think of a forest that you walk through, uh, you know, in, a, in an urban setting or a rural setting and all the different plants and animals are associated with it. Now, you, you You've got to think of the same thing underwater. They are these these kind of they're what they call habitat forming species. So lots of different types of fish, both commercial and recreational, invertebrates, some of which we eat, uh, and also a lot of other diversity are associated with these these basically underwater forests. You can think of them like that. 
And they're mostly brown seaweeds, aren't they, the kelps? Um, yeah, there's browns, greens, reds. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, a, not a specific kelp expert, but there's a, a range of them, a range of diversity, different colours, sizes. And, and we're largely looking at these big kind of canopy-forming species, and including the giant kelp. It's probably one of the best-known ones. And that's a thing called macrocystis, I think, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago on this program, about how the yeah. massive loss of those off the California coast as well in recent years. Very, very much so, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's macrocystis. In this study, we looked at three other of the dominant uh, kelp species, yeah. Ben, I was reading that there were 15 different species in particular that you were looking at. How did you go yeah. about narrowing it down to 15? What, what were your criteria for that? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. So because this is a large Australia-wide study, we picked them for two reasons, one of which is that we can get enough information and data about them. So we use the actual uh, information we use is a combination of um, data that we collect, but also, very importantly, the information from the Herbarium of South Australia, so the, the museums do a fantastic job um, of actually collecting a lot of this data. So it's a combination of ones we think were important and ones where we had enough information on them to model them robustly. So if we have one or two records, we can't really use that. We need to have a, a sizable chunk of information over a good sort of geographic range to, to work with these um, species. So yeah. these records of the existence of, say, a macrocystis or an aclonia or a zyphophora going back decades and now you have people coming out and comparing that to those baseline data yeah i mean this is not this study's modeling so we're looking at projection but i, mean, I work very closely with thomas wormberg and he does a, a range of these sort of studies up and down the coast where they sort of fairly regularly go up and actually look at you know what's there and what's changing so trying to pick up what we call these rain shifts where after the heat wave, uh, you know, we'll see different species missing and also potentially in the future you see other species turning up to fill the gaps that don't have the same temperature limitations. And, and I guess to, to get the heart of, to the heart of your study, which is indeed modelling, so, so what, what are the predictions showing? Yeah, OK, so w what we've done in the paper, we've looked at some of the more conservative climate change predictions. So these are based on future temperatures and what we see is, um, even the most conservative models we see between about 60 and, you know, about 78% of the current distributions of these 13 of the 15 species will actually um, see a major change or there'll be what they call a range restriction. So we'll see, you know, a loss of between 78 and about 60% on average of these, the current distribution of these kelps. In your scenario with the IPCC projections, as temperatures increase, they're going to decrease. But is that a direct effect of increased temperature on the kelps or is it something more subtle? So I'll try and not being a, a, a kelp specialist, I'll try my best to answer. Sorry. So yeah, we, that's all right. No, no, I mean, basically, I'm happy to give you my best, uh, my best answer. But what we did with this paper is we looked at a range of different environmental parameters to start with to build a current day model. And of those parameters, we looked at temperature, uh, temperature, mean temperature around about January, uh, sort of summertime, um, was one of the best predictors that you see for current distributions. We then take a climate model for the next 80, 80 years or thereabouts, end of the century. A couple of these ones that are produced by CSRO, so they're some of the most well-respected models. We look at this current distribution, we project this temperature and we see what's going to happen. We do know that um, kelps are 
do respond very much to temperature range. The actual mechanics of why they're affected, um, uh, the actual physiological level, I'd probably have to refer to someone like Thomas to give you that sort of level of detail. But um, it affects their metabolism like most most things. Ben, did you find, um, in terms of resilience, did you find that there was any variation with your predictions with the different types of algae? So breaking it down very broadly into your reds and your browns and your greens, was there any difference in their resilience? Um, we did see some, some of these species were. I don't know the, the exact kind of... Um, morphology and shape of, uh, of all of them but definitely some were more resilient than others um, have um, you know are not as affected as much but um, I think what was the concern with some of these bigger habitat forming species like particularly we mentioned the giant kelp um, so there's under scenarios the, the kind of medium uh, not the most conservative but still a quite conservative climate change scenario there's a potential for those to, to have local extinction or be really restricted to the, the south coast of Australia. Yeah, I was going to ask you about extinctions uh, and whether your research points towards any areas in particular. And that's an important question for uh, natural resource managers in how they can plan ahead. Yeah, very much so. I mean, and this is something that both, you know, the University of Western Australia and, and, and us at AIMS Australian Institute of Marine Science are very conscious of. So we work very closely with uh, with government managers to produce the best sort of science for to help with these decisions and an example of that would be um, uh, the work on the Great Barrier Reef that Australian Institute of Marine Science does and obviously the federal funding um, that's sort of come through to try and address these kind of larger scale um, you know um, issues with changes. Ben we were talking about migration and I appreciate that this is more a question for probably some of your colleagues but I'm wondering in, in your conversations with them whether you might know as species migrate south is this likely to have a displacing effect on species that are currently present in those potentially new locations or will those species in turn sort of start to migrate south will there be like a domino effect of, uh, of species sort of moving out of their current locations yeah i mean that's that's a really interesting question and i, I can't really answer that with kelp or algae species but uh, i know that for example if you look at fish there's quite well published work and we've actually worked on some of this that you we we see um downward sort of southerly migration or tropicalization from species on both coastlines to what extent there's displacement or to what extent local conditions are just inhibited to the species that are already there is difficult to say the one thing that we do have we mentioned why this study is collaborative we do uh, have to pull a lot of information to come up with these bigger studies the kelps are quite a specialist group to work on you need good taxonomic information but what is good from these type of studies is we know where to look now like with these these sort of models you know we we know where to look for change and where to potentially prioritize some of the the research and management effort which is i think is actually uh it, it makes the job i think a bit easier Ben, uh, where can our listeners go for more information? Um, okay, there's a, an online journal called The Conversation and on there Thomas and other co-authors have published a, a number of articles looking at kelps. They're quite good because they summarise a lot of the, the research into a pretty digestible, quick format. So uh, that's a pretty good place to go and have a, have a bit of a look. Um, and from there all the papers are listed. So, yeah, The Conversation, if you Google it, um, uh, with Thomas Wernberg or myself um, and there's uh, a fair bit of information up there. 
Fantastic. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, we really need to stay tuned on how this is all going to unfold in the years and decades to come. Uh, ben, thanks so much for joining us this morning on Radio Marinara. No, you're welcome. Thanks for your time. Been speaking with Ben Radford from the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences. You are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Hi, this is Tim Whitten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune in to Radio Marinara on 102.7 3RRR. You know where it is. Yeah, we know where it is. We reckon you probably do too. Well, you would be because you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's called logic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's 11 minutes to 10 and we have a very special guest on the phone, Kate. We certainly do. Hopefully she's still there. We've got Dr Gronje Maguire from BirdLife Australia. She's the Coastal Birds Program Leader and we'll leave it up to her to tell us where she is. Where are you, Gronje? <laughs> I'm on an island off the um, east of Wilson's Pond and I'm about to set off on a, um, a survey for hooded plovers. Well, that's my next question done. <laughs> <laughs> so we we talked this up before, Gronya, saying this was the um, the largest sand island in Victoria. Can you describe it for us? Um, oh well, there are a series of all islands in Corner Inlet, so um, we, we're surveying the four main ones that are the best for the species. So yeah, they're stunning out here. Are they inhabited? Uh, no, so you might occasionally get a boat that um, lands for a little bit, but no, you, you never really see people out here. So, yeah, they're gorgeous. There's massive big spits that are just covered in nesting terns and oyster catchers and red cap plovers, hooded plovers, migratory shorebirds, everything. <laughs> um, so are you out there on your own, Gronya, or have you got a team with you? Uh, I've got a team with me. Okay, great. Well, I mean, yeah. you know... <laughs> Just for safety, we assumed that you would, but um, but you never know with these things. So you'd be in you'd be in bird you'd be in Twitch's paradise right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, not many people get out here, so it's really amazing. Now, obviously, to get out there, you didn't swim, so you had to get a boat across. <laughs> yep, that's right. And so, yeah, yesterday Park Victoria took us out in the boats, which was great. And today we got a um, like a diving company take us out. I'd Oh, so you just go out for the day and then you go back? You're not camping out there at nights or staying there? Uh, no, we're now on an island where we've got to do it over the next um, two and a half days, so we will be carrying packs and camping out here. Gronya, how far offshore is it? Um, I'm not very good with judging distances. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how long did it take you in the boat to get out? It took about 20 minutes. Okay, yep. <laughs> yep. So that's a reasonable distance, yeah. Yeah. And, and so this yeah. is part of the biannual hooded plover count, is that correct? It is. So we try and um, every two years survey um, all suitable hooded plover ocean beach habitats. So that's about 3,000 kilometres across South Australia, Victoria and southern New South Wales. And you're not um, doing that yourself, I take it. It's <laughs> There's a whole lot of people involved. Yeah, so the only way to kind of get, achieve that is if we all go out kind of at once... Um, and do little bits each and we have so hundreds of volunteers all across Australia helping. It's just occurred to me that this is also the weekend of the Great Victorian Fish Count so in terms of citizen yeah. science and, and community input to data collection this is the weekend isn't it? Everyone's out there this weekend. It is we're all out in the coast and marine environment it's awesome yeah. Fantastic it's all going on at once. Yeah. No, I was just wondering so you have obviously hundreds of volunteers out there collecting all this information um, I take, is it your job to then deal with the data when it comes in and how long is it going to be until we find out how many hooded plovers <laughs> we have along the coast? 
Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it is our team. We have to deal with all the data. So for years, we've just done it with paper data sheets and, um, you know, slowly had some volunteers help us in the office enter it all. Um, but for the first time, we've actually um, got it live on our bird data portal. Um, so people can enter their own data. It'll be a lot quicker for us to actually pull all the numbers together and get a report out. And so then the story at the end of this, um, as you said, how long have you been doing it for? If it's every two years, how far back does the data go? It actually goes back to 1980. So it's been going on for many years, but over time we've actually, it started in Victoria, parts of Victoria, and then bits of southeast South Australia, and now we've got such great coverage. We cover the whole eastern mainland and parts of Tassie even. So, yeah, it's great. We get a real snapshot of what the actual numbers in our... Um, population of hooded plovers are. It's really fantastic for knowing, um, judging whether they're um, stable or declining or increasing, that kind of thing. A question, um, Gronya Vianerida, who's panelling for us today, is around um, the fact that it is breeding season at the moment. Just yep. sort of a general question around their nesting habits, because we've spoken before on the program about how they, the, the real issue that hooded plovers face is that they're so vulnerable based on, because of how they nest. Um, yep. How, how does it go in terms of citizen science, in terms of trying to work out where they nest and how many chicks are being bred? And is it, is it really tricky, quite cryptic, to try and get that information? Yeah, it's really, really challenging. And they have a, such a long breeding season. It's eight months. So, you know, we really have to train up our volunteers really well because there's, you know, risks, obviously, because the birds are camouflaged and prone to disturbance. So we don't want to add to their worries. So... Any people who sign up for the actual nest monitoring undergo like quite a lot of intensive training and then get mentored and helped by people who know all about the birds and then um, they kind of go out weekly to fortnightly and gather all this information and we can build an idea of how well the birds do. That's um, a really important... Actual, sorry. Oh, sorry. The count that we do um, this weekend is more for um, general people, like just anyone from the public can participate because it's really about identification of the birds which is much simpler and we don't need to look for nests during this count so it's more you know open to a lot more people so i take it obviously you're looking for hooded plovers but you're seeing quite a few other birds while you're out there um what else are you seeing out there at um well snake island and on these islands um so we see lots of um breeding terms so there's big colonies of caspian terms which are my favorite they're the really big terms with the um, orange bills and they come screaming towards you and die bombing you if you're too close to their colony. <laughs> magpies. Very cool. They're like coastal <laughs> magpies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except they back off at the last minute. They don't actually make contact. So, <laughs> so you don't have to wear a saucepan on your head like I did when no. I was a kid <laughs> to ward off the magpies. <laughs> Yeah, and then you get lots of um, oyster catchers. We've seen loads of nests and little chicks and, um, yeah, and lots of... Um, we saw 3,000 uh, bar-tailed godwits yesterday, which come from um, Siberia. They migrate here for the spring and summer, and we saw such a massive flock. It, once they took flight, the whole air was like a big black cloud. So amazing. Wow. We were talking at the beginning of the show, Gronya, mentioning that you were on Snake Island and um, I'm guessing what the answer to this question is in terms of why it's called Snake Island. Are there snakes there at the moment? <laughs> it's more, I think, to do with the shape of the island. Right. <laughs> I mean, we would get snakes out here, but yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so it's the shape. What about yeah. insect life? <laughs> There's loads of sandflies, which I hate. Uh. But, um, I'm covered in bushmans, um, so I'm kind of killing all my layers of skin as well. <laughs> I'm toxic. So it's not all beer and Skittles. <laughs> no, no, there's March flies as well. Oh, ready. I remember that from my um, time going down at the prom. Used to go down there every weekend in February and dive down there and the March flies were just out of this world. Um, and so you're saying that there are March flies there at the moment? Yeah, there are a few, yeah. yeah. Not as bad as in the peak of summer, but yeah. 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 I think I think we're out of questions, Grania. <laughs> when will you when you expect to um, have some? Um, you mentioned this stuff's all going live onto your website, but in terms of looking at trends and looking at statewide numbers, when are you expecting to have that all um, able for us to report? Uh, that'll probably come out like May next year or something like that. By the time we get to really have a proper look at it. Great. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely. The patterns have been um, it's been quite good as an exercise over all the years. We've showed that. You know, we were able to detect that the hooded plovers were massively declining, um, you know, in the order of about 200 birds across Victoria alone. So, you know, that was into the early 2000s. And then we got the recovery program up and running. And we are starting to see that um, population bounce back and the numbers starting to increase again. So it's, it's really pleasing. Yeah, really good. It's always great to have that positive trend. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Grania, we'll, we'll leave you to your rest of your day. Thank you for finding a spot where you actually had a signal so that you could talk to us. And we look forward to catching up with you when you get back on the mainland. Awesome. All right, we'll see you soon. Okay, see ya. Bye. Bye. Bye for Fantastic. Now. Amazing stuff. Yeah, what a great spot to go and hang out, despite all the sand flies. Yeah, so yeah. Snake Island called because of the name uh, the, the shape of the island, not the fact that there's lots of snakes on it. So It's reassuring, isn't yeah, it? it is. Yeah, it is. Now, these birds... Just, just because I'm dumb. These are the ones down on the peninsula where I live. You'll see little fences put around their nesting sites. Mm. They're the and ones. They're the reason also why we need to be careful with our dogs on the beach. Yep. yep. Because they have this amazingly stupid way of nesting. Where it's, it's like nesting in the middle of Punt Road. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to look after them. We do. Yes, please respect all those uh, areas that um, are dog-free beaches because they're dog-free for a reason. Brings us to the end of our program today. Thanks so much to our guests, to uh, Gronya Maguire, who we've just been speaking with from BirdLife Australia, Ben Radford from the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences, and uh, Dr Garbage from the world of Dr Garbage, and um, put some links to that on our Facebook page throughout the day. Thank you, Dr. Surf. Pleasure. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Brian. One, thank you. Can I have one quick announcement? Sure. Is that the annual general meeting is on today for the Disabled Divers Association at 2 o'clock at the Beaumaris Senior Citizens Hall. If you want to come and find out all the amazing work they're doing, getting people into the water, come and join us. Next week you'll be back on the program, so let's talk about... I will. I'll fill you in about the meeting. Yep. That'll be fantastic. Um, thank you, Nerida, very much for panelling for us today. Thank you, Kent, who's been out in the green room. He will be panel beating for Radiotherapy, who are going to be joined by Kaz Cook, very exciting guest for them today and uh, they're about to come into the studio. On our program next week, um, Farm Sharko from Port Phillip Eco Centre, Kate Wynn from Bowen Coast Committee of Management and Kate Charlton-Rob, I believe, from AMSA. So jam-packed show again for you. Have a wonderful Sunday. 28 degrees. Get out amongst it. It's going to be gorgeous. Catch you next week. Bye for now.
Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.